Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Undying Light listeners. It certainly feels like a hot minute since I've been back in the studio, even though I've been continuously pumping out episodes to a week on top of uh, getting ahead of the game, if you would, on the Sacrament series for my patrons, which will air probably the last week of April. Then we have this lovely... um, bonus series that we do for the patrons only when we are going through the book of Hosea. And so there's a lot that we are working through on this show. So I spend uh, some time in the studio recording and, uh, you know, that means prep and studies and all that stuff too, on top of seminary and church and all that other jazz that we do. So a lot of things going on within the Undying Light world and a lot of things going on within the ministry at my church. Stratford Evangelical Lutheran, and a lot going on just in seminary and all sorts of stuff. So Holy Week has kicked off. Uh, the, by the time this episode will air, it, it will actually air on Good Friday. So I'm recording it on Monday, and uh, we're going to uh, kind of change pace, I think, a little bit uh, this time. We're going to look um, at, at, at Jonah, because that's the current series we're in. But this is going to be kind of a long episode, I think. We're going to do this in two parts. So we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1, and then we're going to look at Jonah chapter 2. But we're going to parallel 2 to the time that Christ spends in the grave. Because if you know anything about Good Friday, which I hope you do, then you would you would be instantly reminded of the day. this is the day Jesus is crucified. So then that means between Friday and Sunday, something happened. And so we're going to look at some of that text and unpack it for us with, uh, with with using Jonah 2 as a kind of a parallel to how Jesus uses it in the gospel accounts. So I'm uh, not alone again. I'm joined today by my son who is seven months. He'll actually be seven this Friday, seven months this Friday. Uh, and he woke up a little early and so he's hanging out in the studio with me. So you'll hear probably some baby noises and squeaks and all sorts of stuff. Uh, as I record, 
I am not going to get rid of those because, as I always say, this is a family episode. So my kids are often down here in the studio with me because I have, um, you know, a, a, a little TV in here for them to watch and we can uh, partake in joining and and spending quality time together and and i have to pause the recordings probably every uh you know two or three minutes when my daughter's here because she has to ask me all sorts of questions and she wants to um talk and play and so it all works out it's all good in the end and i love doing it so you know i brought my son down here while my uh wife is still resting up from uh this ridiculous head cold that's been going back and forth in the house so it's friday and uh our house clean house cleaning uh tips and tricks for the week i guess uh here's what we've got for you we will continue the series in jonah but like i said today's episode will be longer so i'm preferencing that up front so you can spend the time on good friday or saturday uh, and listen to it uh, i hope you can hear this on friday because it is truly impactful Um, But it's a text that we can handle, you know, any time. So we should never shy away from the gospel of our Lord, uh, especially dealing with the death and resurrection, because these are significant events. Uh, In fact, as Paul notes, if if Christ didn't raise from the grave, then our faith is foolish. And so we're going to uh, take the time and expound chapters one and two. Uh, and then maybe how three and four go together, we'll, we'll wrap those next week, and then we'll move on to another uh, minor prophet. So we won't spend um, a crazy amount of time with Jonah, but we'll spend enough that we can work work through the text. See, there he is saying hello. He's starting to uh, make noises, and we can we think he's starting to put together Dada, so that's pretty cute. Uh, but now he does the little spit thing with his tongue, and he loves making noises. He's a noisy baby. In fact, when we brought him home from the hospital, he was, uh, uh, when he'd sleep, he would coo. And so every breath was a coo. And he did that for quite a few weeks. And so when he stopped doing that, it was kind of alarming because my wife and I were like, um, is he okay? Is he breathing? It's just such a different uh, person than our daughter was. So uh, beyond that, as I always note, uh, if you want to get these episodes early and get them into your listening ear, you know, a week ahead or two weeks or multiple weeks, uh, or you want to get exclusive content or you want to join us for the Bible study, uh, by all means, come and do so. We, you know, I offer a lot to the patrons and interestingly enough, I did a poll with them, uh, the other week and, uh, you know, I, I found, um, that they, it was, it was pretty even cut. Uh, up and down the line of uh, what people liked and uh, what you know what they preferred as a, as a essentially as a perk uh, for this show and uh, I'm going right to that post now uh, let's see here question and so what I did was is I kind of laid out some of the generic things that I do we have the Bible studies every other Sunday the early podcast release bonus episodes which are exclusive for uh, you all, uh, my sermon notes, schoolwork, and then access to Discord. And so far, the bonus episodes and the sermon notes are leading the way, and so that's pretty cool. Um, but uh, they also do like the Discord access, the Bible studies, and the uh, podcast, early podcast release. Those are quickly following behind. So 
that, you know, those are just some of the basic things that I offer. And actually, as we move into um, the new year uh, more, you know, we're, you know, four months into it. But as we kind of move into the summer months here, uh, I'm trying to refine and zero in on what it is uh, I offer for the patrons. And we'll probably continue to do more exclusive content for them. Uh, that includes uh, exclusive content on Discord. Uh, that means exclusive content in podcast and in video form. So all of that stuff will be coming um, over the next handful of months. Um, there's a lot of things that I'm working on in the back end too that I'll be working on post-education. Uh, and so we will uh, be making that readily available for patrons as well. So dollar a month gets you full access. You can spend buy a whole year up front, 12 uh, it's like 10 bucks and some change, so you get a discount instead of having to spend $12. All right, or you can give more. I mean, you're not you're not locked to that. So whatever your heart feels, if you want to come join this wonderful ministry, we've got 52 fantastic patrons, and I'm so happy that each and every one of them uh, can, continues to be a part of this Undying Light family. As always, too, through the month of April, Logos is offering 20, 20% off packages. I actually just upgraded one of mine. Uh, last night. And so it is, uh, I got quite a few uh, more books added and uh, you can choose the neat thing about these packages is you can choose between your denomination. If you want to have a messianic Jew package, you can have that. If you want to have a Baptist or a reformed or a, uh, you know, Lutheran or a Methodist or an Anglican, a Catholic, you know, they're all out there. Uh, they have Pentecostal as well. Now, there's a lot of books, obviously, that are shared amongst all of the things because they fall into like a general theology group. But you can zero in and get some of the best people from your particular denomination and get their works. Um, like I had just so like I have Luther's works. I bought that a while back and then I turned around and got this minor upgrade that I was looking forward to. Uh, so now I have Dietrich Bonhoeffer's works in my library. So plus, you know, many more. So, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't expensive at all. I was pretty excited to have that. And, uh, I'm hoping as I continue to, uh, explore logos more and, and, and utilize it more then I will be able to, uh, pardon me as I, and then I'll be able to, um, you know, help share that knowledge with you. Um, We've done a Logos video for the patrons on, you know, how to use it and what kind of goes into it. And we'll probably do some more stuff like that, exclusive content. Uh, I might release one and make it actually look professional and release it to uh, you guys so that way you can watch it. And uh, I'm, you know, it's, it's a program to me that's extraordinarily beneficial and it has helped me in my ministry. And so, you know, for... Uh, however much money you want to sink into them, you can get the free package and just kind of buy as you choose. Uh, or you could buy a whole package and get uh, a whole library of books. Uh, and you, the cost is really dependent on how much you want to put into it. But you can get 20% off this month on the packages, and you can use my discount link uh, that's in my profile on um my Instagram page, or you can just go to uh, logos.com forward slash undying light and pick a package there and you'll get 20% off. So, so huge, huge things happening in the world of undying light, especially with uh, logos and patron and all the other wonderful things we do. Um, we are continuously producing content and making it readily available for your ear holes. 
And that's what I tell everybody. Hey, you got a new episode for your ear holes. Go listen to it. Uh, but as I mentioned, we're going to spend uh, <clears throat> a little bit longer time today in uh, the book of Jonah. And we are going to work through uh, chapters one and chapters two. And we will uh, also parallel two to the resurrection uh, of Christ. And so, like I said, a little bit longer episode. We might split it into two parts. I might do like a little uh, a coffee break, if you would, uh, between chapters one and chapters two. So you could have essentially a stopping point. Um, and then maybe I'll even put it in the notes. Like if you want to listen to chapter two and see the parallels more closely, I'll put that in the notes that you can jump to X minute marker and uh, start from there. So um, let's uh, dig into chapter one and see what Jonah is doing. Here we go. Verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, your, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. I'm going to pause here really quick. Uh, and we'll we'll dig into some of this a little bit more, uh, but this experience, the crying out to their own God or His God, as the text says, uh, really shows you know the the dynamic of this culture uh, that even that as Jonah being a prophet is probably living somewhere near Joppa here, and he is actively preaching, we still have people who, you know, uh, worship multiple gods. And so that's a pretty common thing in this uh, time period, especially amongst uh, pagan people. Now, we don't know, you know, if the people he's surrounded with are of Jewish heritage or have Jewish connections or why Jonah is in this, you know, environment, if you would. But we know uh, just what the text tells us. And we know that he goes down to Joppa, so he's probably north of the town. He might be in a town, you know, a little bit higher, uh, further north than just living in Joppa. But he goes to Joppa; it's a port city, and he's going to take a ship over to Tarshish, and uh, and then the you know the storm comes up. But I just want to make you know a highlight here that each of the sailors, you know, have this crying out to their own god, and that. Uh, again, isn't going to do anything because they're not crying out to the one true and only God, Yahweh. Let us continue. Uh, that's up till verse 6. Here's verse 7. Uh, Jonah is thrown into the sea. And it says, uh, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And wh who? what are your people? And he said to him, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the heaven, or who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? 
for men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then he said to him, what shall we do to you? Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? That the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more temperous. He said to him, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to try and get back to dry land, and they could not, for the sea grew more and more temperous around them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as pleased to you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And then chapter, or the last verse here in chapter 1, before we get to chapter 2, verse 17 says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. So uh, we have this uh, pretext, the context here uh, to set up with the story. This is, again, chapter 1, just as we end with Jonah being in the belly of the fish for three days. We have, uh, you know, Jonah, this prophet who is a Hebrew, um, and he makes the statement that he fears uh, God, the God of the heavens who made uh, the sea and the dry land. Uh, he doesn't tell them, though, where he's from. That's, uh, he just says, I'm a Hebrew. So there, there probably were Hebrews in the surrounding area to Joppa at this time. Uh, but again, we don't exactly have a pinpoint of, of Jonah's you know, heritage, if you would, other than he's the son of a Mittai. Uh, we could probably dig into a little bit more of that. I think I briefly talked maybe about that on uh, last week's episode, but there, it, again, it's not, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is to show us God is reaching out to the Ninevites through Jonah and Jonah feels uh, in his arrogance that uh, they aren't worthy of hearing the gospel. And so they, he, he flees because he's, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Uh, as I ex, you know, explained last week on the episode, Nineveh is a, uh, where the Assyrians, they were, you know, enemies of the Jews and Jonah didn't think they were worthy of the gospel. They didn't think they were worthy to hear God's promise for them. And so Jonah is trying to do everything in his power not to go to Nineveh. So we begin with Nineveh, right? It is the capital of Assyria. It's a powerful and ruthless nation. And this is about 500 miles northeast of Jonah's hometown in Israel. Uh, the Assyria opposed to always be a threat for the entire region, including Israel. We, we know that there is, you know, disputes and battles and fights between the two uh, because of you know the the ruthlessness, the anger, hatred that the Assyrians have for many people around them. Nineveh's fortured, uh, fortified wall was uh, eight miles in circumference, and God is going to bring judgment to this town, this capital. And so this is where He says, "Go up and call out against it, for their evil has come before Me." So obviously we know that Nineveh is a place of evil and God is sending Jonah. He, see, he doesn't 
just bring his wrath. We serve a God of patience and love as well as a God that will bring judgment. But he warns continuously by sending prophets, by sending Jesus, by sending the apostles, by sending the preachers in the early church through the church age till today. God continuously is warning people that their impending their impending judgment is upon them and that he will, in fact, deliver them over to that if they do not repent. So this is the challenge and the call that uh, the Israel or, you know, that that the prophets have had in Israel through the time. And we are looking at uh, this unique story where God is giving somebody other than the Jews a chance to repent. And as I had said last week, this is not an uncommon incident, but it is one that is often not discussed too much by the Jewish people because they feel that the, 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 the account of you know, serving God was only for them and not for other nations that were not worthy in their opinion. So we see right out of the gate, Jonah flees God. He knew in his heart he was being disobedient. And it's unique because a prophet is not wanting to do what God had commanded. And I find it really, really interesting that in all of this, in this short story, God will use Jonah not only to bring the Ninevites to repentance, but to make a demonstration of what is to happen to his son. And so a very unique story with a lot of depth and a lot of history to it. And as we talked about in last week's episode, one that should be counted as historical context. This is a part of Jewish history. It is a part that Jesus recalls and uses a lot of allegories when we get to the fish. And I, you know, I I just, I love the story of Jonah because you see so much in this text and it doesn't take much for the reader to just examine what is really here. So let's summarize verses one through six. Um, and then we will see Jonah thrown into the sea in 7 through 17. So Jonah has turned his back on God, but God does not stop pursuing Jonah. In fact, he stops Jonah from his folly. God could have easily punished Jonah. He could have easily sent somebody else to Nineveh. He could have easily destroyed Jonah, or he could have easily just brought judgment against Nineveh. However, God loves Jonah so much that he sends this storm to interrupt his flight and to eventually bring him back into a healthy relationship with his Savior. Same thing with our own disobedience. It merits punishment, but God in his love and mercy works to bring us to repentance and to a restored relationship rather than closing the door on us. That is the beauty of the gospel, that we are not cast away merely because of our disobedience. It doesn't matter whether... We have a minor slip of sin or we have a whole, you know, long period where we have walked away from the church. I walked away from the church for a number of years. And thanks to my wife, I am now uh, back in the church as a pastor. She didn't encourage me to be a pastor for uh, the the first half of our church going life. But uh, she certainly saw that this was what God was calling me to. And through a lot of prayer and a lot of discussion, 
this is where we have landed now. And to be honest with you, this is the best thing God has ever done for us is provide a ministry and a platform and uh, the knowledge that I can consume scripture. And it's truly an honor to be on this side of the mic as well as in the pulpit leading my church. Uh, it is, it leaves me breathless and speechless a lot. So God does not stop pursuing his children. And that is uh, truly amazing. So we kick off verse seven here. Uh, we should be able to finish it in the next uh, handful of minutes and then we'll kick off part two here. Um, so they cast lots and uh, this is an interesting throw over to Joshua 14 two, uh, because this is what Joshua 14 two says. It says met, it says that their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for nine uh, for the nine and one half tribes. Uh, by lot, this method to determine God's will in the distribution of lands, the exact procedure is not clearly known, but the process required faith that God would indeed guide his choice, as well as a willingness to abide by the choice as being from God. Such a method would exclude favoritism. So this is them casting lots to see who uh, is to blame for the storm. They wanted to know because they have done everything they thought they could do to help lighten their ship by throwing all their cargo off. They thought that they could maybe drive back to the shore, but the storm uh, had kept them essentially right in the same place because the one who controls the storm, God, was pursuing Jonah and unbeknownst to the crew, they would have been spared. They had no, you know, they had no issues with God. And in fact, what we see at the at the end of chapter one is they uh, begun begin to fear God. Uh, it says in verse sixteen, the men ex, uh, feared God exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So it, it is it, it is interesting that wherever Jonah goes, people come to repentance. And even though this crew was praying out to their gods who didn't show up, and they cast lots to see who's to blame. They come to the conclusion that it is Jonah who's to blame and they hammer him with a bunch of questions and he says, well, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. Uh, I, I fear the Lord, the God, the one who created the, the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the dry land. Uh, and so Jonah's confession here shows that he knows who the true God is, but that he had also disobeyed him. Jonah describes God as creator of land uh, his creator and Lord, placing him above the pagan gods that the sailors had worshipped. And Paul similarly uses this approach when he goes to Athens. And, and I love this text from Acts 17, 24. Uh, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. This uh, context that Paul's preaching about in Athens is he he's going into the center where all the gods temples are located and there's a, a plaque with the inscription of to the unknown God because see the, the because the people of Athens didn't want to miss out on the, the worship of any God they wanted to encompass everything that they could and Paul comes and he uses this same uh, notion that Jonah uses to assert that he knows who this unknown God is in fact he knows who the one true God is he knows who made everything and this is kind of the same breakdown that Jonah gives that these pagan gods, 
that the that the sailors worshipped would never show up because they don't exist. And so Jonah's saying, I serve the God. I know who made all of this. I know who's the one controlling the storm. I was disobedient, and so he's bringing uh, judgment on me or whatever it may be. Um, but really, like I said, it, unbeknownst to the sailors that Jonah was the target of this storm. So now we have the sailors justly astonished at Jonah's audacity and trying to run from God as he described this as being the Lord of the entire earth. And it's interesting in verse 10 how they use that. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So the men are astonished. Why are you doing this? What do you think you can gain from this? Do you think you can outrun this God that you talk about who made everything? If he's truly the God of the earth and everything in it, then where do you think you're going to go? And so the sailors are just perplexed at this. Um, but Jonah's impressed, uh, had so impressed the sailors with this confusion and uh, disclosures that they had asked him how to calm the storm. And Jonah says, uh, hurl me into the sea. Just be be rid of me. And so Jonah is trying to forfeit his life so the crew would be saved. Uh, this also shows Jonah's personal distress in the fact that he, so, he, he didn't want to go to Nineveh so bad that he would rather drown in the sea than go to these uh, the Assyrians and preach repentance to him. So verses uh, 14 through 16, this is Jonah's simple confession of faith. Uh, it leads to the pagan sailors to realize that the Lord had made the storm. They directed their prayers to the one and only who could intervene and save them. Uh, interpreters differ, though, on whether the sailors are truly converted or simply added the Lord Yahweh to their list of deities. Uh, it's clearly happened even in Israel. And this is noted in 1 Kings 11, 4, 5, and 7. Now, as I'd mentioned, they turn and, and offer worship, but yet, do they just convert fully to serving the Lord Yahweh, or do they uh, continue in their pagan ways but add Yahweh as kind of a, another deity to their list? So uh, we don't really have a true indication. We just see what the text says, and, and we pray for God's mercy upon them. Verse 16, the fear of the Lord. This is something we've talked about a um, number of times going through the wisdom books. And uh, just as the later people of Nineveh believed God, as chapter 3, 5 will state, uh, so these heathen sailors reverenced the Lord. Uh, they offer a sacrifice as a sign of thanks to the Lord after the crew got back to the shore. Uh, and then they offer a vow, which would have been a religious commitment. Uh, this points back to Numbers chapter 30. Jonah concluded his prayer in the belly of the fish in a similar commitment, and this is what Luther says as we get into chapter 2. He says, What pure, God-fearing, and Christian conscience these people have now. The same people who prior to this did not hesitate to commit murder and who were entirely indifferent in obeying God now proceeded to make sacrifices to God and make vows. The various gods on whom they had called earlier are all forgotten. And this was all affected by Jonah and his dying. The servant of God must prove himself so that so useful that there's nothing about him 
that does not accure to the benefit and the welfare of others. We stated earlier that the fear of God was just another term for the service of God, for the true service of God is to fear and to honor God. That is Luther writing in his notes, um, lectures on this chapter. So uh, summarizing up uh, chapter uh, one uh, before, we'll we'll actually use 17 as kind of a jumping off point into chapter two. So uh, one through 16, God uses Jonah's disobedience as a learning opportunity for him and the ship's crew. Jonah had an opportunity to compare his indifference and hostility toward Nineveh with the sailors' concern for his life. And the sailors are able to learn of the true God through Jonah's confession of faith and God's control of the sea. Amazingly, even when we break God's law and receive punishment, he turns uh, the solution into a learning experience as an, uh, an opportunity for us to confess and praise him. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 136.1. So we're going to wrap up part one of this, um, and we will have uh, a few moments of silence, and I'll actually now probably throw in a uh, commercial because we'll essentially end one episode and begin a new one, and uh, and I think that will be you know an interesting moment for the show because we've never done anything like this. We've never done like a two-parter uh, that's in the same show that's released on the same day, so uh, working to do all new things for you. So. We'll be back with part two in just a few moments. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
And we're back with part two. Not a lot has changed. Um, I have handed my son over to my wife, and we might have to go get her some uh, some medication because this head cold is just kicking her butt. It's been eight days now that she's had it. I had it for seven before I got on an antibiotic, and man, it just it is crazy. And, it, and it's not like it, it, it is congestion. It's phlegm. It's you know watery eyes. It's cough. It's, uh, I sneezed oh, like a million times during my week. Um, it was just miserable. Like you're tired weak and it's like, you know, and we tested for, you know, negative for COVID every time we tested. So we know it's not COVID. We just, it's just another cold. And I was talking to the doctor when I was in there a couple of weeks ago and they're like, yeah, we we're seeing a whole bunch of variations of these, you know, spring colds and, and, uh, and they're not, nobody's getting COVID. They're just getting these weird colds that have symptoms of COVID. Because COVID has every symptom in the book now, according to our lovely uh, overlords. So, anywho, let's get into part two. We won't uh, mince any time here by um, not, uh, we won't waste any time, I should say, by uh, uh, me babbling on and on. But what I want to really ensure we touch base on is the parallel between two and uh, in, in the life of Jesus. And so we will uh, examine um, this time of uh, Christ here uh, in this particular chapter. And so we're going to look at um, John 19 and uh, we will see... Um, the crucifixion beginning with the uh, end of 16 and then verse 17. And then we'll look at the death of Jesus uh, 28 through the end uh, through 30. And that will essentially kind of encompass us for the text in Jonah two. Uh, we'll throw out a few um, parallels to, um, to this particular text. And uh, we will see where in fact um, we get this, uh, um, you know, parallel. How can we make this connection? Is it tr- is it really there in the text, or are we grasping at straws to make some sort of typology um, happen for this? So, uh, let us uh, dig into the text here in chapter two, and then we will see where we land for today. So, we will draw some parallels to what Jesus says, and then we'll look at kind of. I got a, an interesting little comparison chart. We'll look at. Uh, uh, Jonah and Christ, but we're more importantly going to spend a little bit more time on the crucifixion and uh, dig into that as as today is Good Friday, and that means there's really there's a historical context and there's historical uh, his, uh, truth behind this history, and we need to understand that as Christians. Now, um, we, you know, as a Lutheran, we, we honor Monday, Thursday, and I had considered dropping an episode on that, but that's going to be included in our sacrament series. And we will, um, uh, dedicate the time to meticulously walk through, uh, the institution of the Lord's supper. So we'll probably break that up over a handful of episodes that'll air on Tuesdays. So I want to spend today and look at Jonah chapter two and compare this over to, uh, John 19, but more importantly, we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 12 and see where Jesus references Jonah. So we already read 17. 
Um, but we'll pick up there and we'll carry on through two. This is a prayer uh, of Jonah that uh, during the time he's in the belly of the fish. So verse 17 uh, ends chapter one this way. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So now we go into chapter two and it says this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves were like billows, passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me and took my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped about my head, and the roots of the mountain, and the root and at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my, my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you For I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So we have Jonah being swallowed, we have the prayer, and then we have Jonah being spit back out. And uh, we'll dig into some of these parallels here, and then we'll turn our attention to uh, the day of Good Friday, and we'll continue wrapping up Jonah uh, next week. So let's kind of work through this uh, text. So we have Jonah thinks he's dying in the sea as verse 17 concludes chapter one, uh, and that he should be, that this is the out, the, the outcome of his refusal to obey God. Uh, but as we know, God always has other plans for Jonah. This great fish saves him from drowning and gives him pause to consider his uh, situation and the role of carrying out God's will. Our life is like a tapestry woven by God. We are effective by making holes in that tapestry when we sin and follow follow our own will. But God does not always protect us from ourselves so as to make the holes disappear. But he is skilled at reweaving the loose threads that we create and giving giving us a chance to move in on with him and his purpose. So Jonah thinks he's uh, going to die and then he's uh, swallowed up by this this fish, and you know it's funny because uh, the text uh, I've looked at a number of translations on uh, verse seventeen and, and verse one, and the ESV renders it um, uh, as a fish, and then if I turn to uh, oh, it's kicking me over here. I don't want that. Oh my goodness. I got every window in the world opening up here. I also think my, uh, my mouse that I use on this one PC is, is struggling with the end of its life. And so like when I click on something, it, uh, doesn't exactly go, uh, the first two or three times. And so, uh, I have to kind of battle it. So the uh, NASB 95 translates it to fish, and I believe the King James Version as well renders it fish as well. But uh, there's 
I wouldn't say there's debates between fish and whale. Um, some interpreters would say that the fish would be considered a whale if it was to swallow this uh, a whole man, but we could venture to say that there are fish big enough to eat a man. Now, we don't know if Jonah's sitting in the belly of this fish comfortably or if he's, you know, constrained and struggling with space. So, you know, again, things that we're trying to make out of the text that just aren't necessarily there. Text says fish, various translations point to fish as we deal with it. And as Jesus recites, it is a fish. We don't know what type of fish could have been, you know, a really big, uh, well, probably in a sea. I mean, who knows what's out there? We don't even have fractions of it uh, categorized yet, so I can't even take a stab at it. And I fish a lot, so all I know is fresh water. I don't know salt water. But all right, so enough of me babbling. Let's look at the rest of this text. Jonah prays. Uh, and this is interesting, and I noted this on our episode on A Matter of Truth, so go and check that episode out as we worked through Jonah. But Jonah prays, and this prayer is in the structure of a psalm. It's a psalm of thanksgiving, and Jonah is here recounting what the Lord has uh, that has heard his cry and has rescued him from death. And so I, I find the kind of construct here uh, resembles a lot of how David uses the psalms to recite the fact that God... Uh, rescues him, but more importantly, it's you know the construct that no matter where you go, God is present. And so, as David notes, you know, if I lay my head in shield, you'll be there. If I ascend to the heavens, you'll be there. If I do this, that, and the other, you'll be there. So, whereas David knows this, Jonah is reflecting upon this. And you know, for, to be a prophet, you knew uh, the. The Old Testament, you know, up until the point of where you were a prophet at. Uh, and so Jonah was probably very familiar with the Torah and uh, the Psalms and, you know, the Jewish history through Joshua and Judges and First and Second Kings. And so we, we know that Jonah is exceptionally knowledgeable and uh, stubborn and angry. So he's kind of a unique prophet, as I had mentioned. And so we get this wonderful prayer of thanksgiving, and it demonstrates uh, that Jonah is uh, crying out to the Lord, and he and that the Lord has heard his pleas and has rescued him from death. But again, we don't, you know, it, in the time of being in the belly of this fish, you know, Jonah could have been, you know, protected by the Lord, so that way the fish didn't like start digesting him, you know, breaking him down as the stomach acids would do so. So, you know, there's divine intervention here that preserves Jonah in this belly for three days. And, and again, this is the mystery of the text that we, we don't know how God did this. We don't know, uh, the, you know, all the little schematics behind it. We don't know how big this fish or the type of fish it was. All we know is Jonah spent three days there. And we know that this is true because Jesus says it is true. And if we you know, hold everything to scripture, uh, then the words of Christ are, are most certainly true. And that gives validity to, you know, this, this unique ongoing discussion, because there's a lot of, uh, theologians that would essentially reject Jonah and say, well, the, you know, him being swallowed up by fish is more of a metaphor. It's not an actual thing. But when Jesus recites it, he doesn't sound like he's providing any sort of metaphor. He's not saying, you know, that Jonah was, in the sea and he was swallowed up in something like a fish or, 
you know, the, the swallowing up is like this. Or No, he says, as much as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, I will be in the heart of the earth. So we'll look at Matthew 12 here shortly. Uh, so let's wrap up uh, this little prayer here. Let's kind of work through some of the schematics. Uh, we know that God saves Jonah from, do- uh, from drowning, uh, but Jonah has no way of knowing that he would even escape the fish. He's just simply in the moment thanking God. Took faith to believe God's salvation included the rest, the restored life for him. Uh, as he notes, Sheol, this is the place of the dead. Jonah's descent into the sea was like descended into Sheol. We had a whole long discussion on Sheol or the grave or the place of the dead uh, when we did our episode on death. And we are actually going to revisit that in my sermon for tonight, which is Good Friday, because uh, we will see kind of this. Uh, the time period that Jesus will die on the cross, and then what does he do from there? So we have, you cast me into the deep. This is Jonah's recognizing his brush with death by drowning was by God's doing. And Jonah has forsaken the Lord just as, uh, just as Jesus felt separation from his father on the cross, as Matthew 27, 46 states. Uh, and I can't read, uh, I'll read a little portion of it. You know, it's where Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you uh, forsaken me? So this is uh, exceptionally important for us to, to see and be demonstrated to because um, it is helpful for us to see that where Jonah is disobedient, uh, Christ is obedient. And where Jonah feels forsaken by God, Jesus feels forsaken by God. So there's parallels, similarities, and differences that we uh, pull out of this story. So in verse 7, uh, I, when Jonah says this, I remember the Lord. And it's at this last moment that Jonah turns to the Lord who alone could save him. So Jonah had been running from God. God brings this great storm upon him. And Jonah turns and and now finally being in the waters and then swallowed up by fish is, you know, giving his confession that he has been disobedient and uh, turning to the Lord. And so this poem, this prayer, this psalm, if you would, uh, really fits well with the situation that Jonah is facing uh, and it demonstrates uh, you know, the divine nature of God. And just so here, I like in verse 10 where it says, and the Lord spoke to the fish. Well, the God, this is the God over all creation. This includes animals. This includes the fish. This includes the birds of the heavens. This is God speaking to the fish just as uh, he did at creation. And this will accomplish the purpose of the Lord. The Lord who teaches donkeys to speak, Numbers twenty-two twenty-eight. likewise teaches a fish to listen. Uh, so we have uh, the fish vomiting now Jonah out. This is the fish could have become Jonah's tomb, but God commanded it instead, provided transportation back to dry land. Though the event was terrifying to Jonah, his account has a humorous ring. So he he spends the time in the belly of the beast. Again, we don't we we would venture to say that God is providing some sort of divine protection for Jonah here, unbeknownst to Jonah. Uh, he's using this fish as merely a vessel to take him from the place that they were ca- they already cast him out over the ship uh, into the dry land of Nineveh. So this is uh, an interesting and it can be you know humorous kind of story that it takes Jonah being swallowed by a fish to bring him to repentance. 
So we know that Jonah deserves death. That's simply, you know, the the root of all of this. Um, he did not deserve deliverance. He deserves death because of his d- radical disobedience to God, to the God he served. And what's, like I said, what, what's really fascinating in all of this is, is more so that Jonah's a prophet. And so he knew the scriptures, everything up until his life. He knew all of the finer pieces, the ins and outs, and he knew all of it. And yet he's still disobedient and he thinks that he can flee the presence of God. And so, again, it shows us that even the prophets had, had issues sometimes grasping the complexities and the simplicities of who God is. So, yo, so as much as he deserves death but not deliverance, the Lord graciously rescues him by this miraculous intervention, sending the fish. Jonah recognizes the greatness of the Lord's compassion and expresses his thanks in prayer. The Apostle Paul, like Jonah, once felt that he had received the sentence of death, but God, who raise, who raises from death, uh, raises the dead, delivered him. Second Corinthians chapter one verses eight through ten. All sinners deserve the sentence of everlasting death, but the God to whom salvation belongs in Christ rescued us and has given us new life. So I really, before we dig into the parallels here, I really like uh, the end of verse 9 where he says salvation belongs to the Lord. This is an exclamation, a proclamation that is found throughout the Old Testament. It is not salvation belongs to the Lord and man. It's not salvation belongs some to God and, and, and then we have to make up the rest by our good works. No, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is the saving essence, justification. It is the moment that man is made righteous before God. Salvation belongs to the Lord and him alone. So now let's uh, spend a little time here as we wrap up this portion of Jonah. We're going to look at some parallels, uh, and then we're going to visit uh, the time of Jesus on the cross because this is all interconnected. So Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 42. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, uh, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The man of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at judgment for this generation will condemn it. And she will come from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So uh, some interesting little tidbits here is uh, Jesus is kind of uh, lashing back out at the Pharisees for being ignorant and, and as he calls them, an adulterous and evil generation. And this is uh, similar commentary used by Old Testament prophets. Uh, he describes the people who have rejected God. Jeremiah and Ezekiel do this. Uh, they seek a sign from Jesus, but they uh, had already seen miraculous healings, but they continue to want something from him. And Jesus turns and, and says the fact that you have no idea what you're asking for. And so 
Uh, we have the, the again in verse 40 here in Matthew 12, this son of man reference being used. But more, I want to kind of look at uh, the sign of Jonah, which we or the sign of the prophet Jonah. And we don't really have, unfortunately, a lot that um, point us to what this means. But uh, when we start to pull back, uh, we get this connection. Uh, so Jesus affirms the history, the historicity of the story of Jonah here. He says that Nineveh will rise up at judgment and thus preceding an actual future event that these same men unrepented, or the same men in Jonah repented at the preaching of Jonah, the prophet, indicating that Jonah's preaching in Nineveh isn't an actual historical event. We've made that clarification time and time again. So this the signs of the prophet of Jonah, as Jesus kind of highlights here, there's not really a whole lot um, to to say on it. And, and I don't want to try to gloss over this, but maybe when we work through the, uh, through the gospels, we'll spend more time parked on this. But, you know, as I, as I babble on and on, um, I'm going to not dig myself the hole here because this isn't the thing to focus on. What I want to focus on is verse 40 and the verse 40 is where we get, um, the, the the heart of this purpose. For just as Jonah was, in, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, this is the parallel to the time that Jesus is dead on the cross. Now, we, we have to understand um, some parallels here. Uh, and some, not parallels, but more or less, we have to understand the, the references that Jesus uses here. So we know that on Thursday before uh, during b- before the crucifixion during Passover week, uh, this is where Jesus institutes um, the Lord's Supper. And then he goes out to uh, the garden and prays with his disciples to which he is arrested and tried through the night from Thursday on. He is then hung on the cross Friday morning. And I think it's, if we go to trying to correlate times, I think it's about 3 p.m. in the afternoon when he finally dies. So we would say Friday night and Saturday night, he's there in the heart of the earth. But he rises on Sunday, which becomes the new Sabbath for Christians. So we would see that if if we go with that calendar, then we would have a difficulty with trying to reconcile uh, the three days and three nights because he doesn't quite hit the third night and and I and I want to try to focus on that for just a brief moment if I could. So if I could, I want to spend just a moment and I want to look at this a little bit closer because there's been a long debate around Matthew 20 verse 40, Matthew 12 verse 40, my apologies. And I want to kind of clarify this a little bit and then we'll look at the crucifixion account of Christ here because this is again tied into Jonah spending 3 days in the belly of the fish. So to us, these uh, three days and three nights generally would reflect to a 72-hour window. Uh, But we must understand the Bible historically and culturally. For the Jewish mind, this could mean any part of the first day, all of the second day, and any part of the third day. This is obvious by comparing Esther, uh, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 16, and chapter 5, verse 1. And interestingly enough, 
when we did Esther, we, you know, we didn't really parallel this time wise, uh, but we did talk about how, um, let's, let's read 16. It says, go and assemble all the Jews who have found in Susha and feast on my behalf. Don't eat and don't drink for three days, night and day. My female attendants, uh, and I will go, will also fast in the same way. Afterward, I will go to the king, even though it violates the law. If I perish, I perish. And so what's happening in this, and it's setting up the context to understanding that the three days and three nights isn't a modern, you know, modern view of 72 hours. It's not what we would think of being a full three days and three nights. So it could be partial. Uh, and that's where, what we actually see. We see part of the first day, all of the second day, and part of the third day. And I find it interesting that the second day, and again, we, we, we don't know all of the finer workings of the time that Jesus spent in the grave, but we could say that Jesus rested possibly on Saturday in the tomb, all the work accomplished on Friday, rested the Sabbath in the tomb on Saturday, and then rose from the dead on Sunday. I've, I've seen that used uh, a few times. I thought, thought that was quite interesting. So further, the statement three days can mean in the Jewish mind on the third day, since any part of that day is considered the third day, Matthew 27, 63 through 64 states. Note the statements after three days and securing the tomb until the third day. Uh, more can be set, more will be said on this in a moment here. Uh, but on the third day, one could mean, uh, could not mean the fourth day after the 72 hours. Uh, this is looking at Luke chapter 24, verse 1, and chapter 24, verse 22. We read that they arrived at the tomb on the third day. And then in verse 21, it's stated that it is the third day. This could be, uh, this would be impossible to say Jesus had stayed in the tomb for a full 72 hours, uh, for it would have been then the fourth day, because now he would have to reach all 72 hours and then be raised from the grave, which would make it actually three days and then some. So his resurrection would have to have been after the third day and on the fourth, which would make it Monday. Also, the day of preparation could only refer to Friday before the Sabbath since no work of any kind could be done on the Sabbath or the seventh day. On other Sabbath holy days, domestic work could be done like making fire and cooking, but no special preparations was needed for those uh, Sabbaths or holy days and not so on the high Sabbath. So it is important for us to see that all of the prep for the body of Christ is done on Friday, but this is merely preparing the body. So there's two elements to consider when we look at the death of Christ, that Jesus uh went off spiritually and did something while his body remained. And this is the thing I really want to urge you as a listener. When we say that Jesus died, we mean the that God the Son died on the cross. He, it, and that is proven historically through the church, through the apostles, that Jesus died that Friday, you know, mid-morning or late, late morning, early afternoon on the cross and then spent three days in the Jewish context, so Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in the grave, and rose Sunday morning and went and and shown himself to all of the various people. So it is crucial to recognize that Christ did die uh, on the cross, uh, and, and it, that is a historical uh, event 
for the church. We have to understand that when we die, we do not cease to exist. So we would parallel this to God being a, a you know a spirit. He's not a human as we are a created being. He is, you know, he exists outside of our understanding of time and space. He exists in a, you know, probably in a form we don't or can't possibly comprehend at this point in our finite lives. But what we would say is God is spirit. And when Jesus dies, his spirit or his soul, if you would, uh, the son of God is now going to do certain things because it says here in John 1930 that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit after he makes the proclamation. It is finished. So when he gave up his spirit, his spirit moves on to accomplish the goals that needed to be accomplished. But his body remains on the earth in the tomb until the he rises from the grave and then he will ascend uh, to heavens later on. So when we say that Jesus died on the cross, you can say that God the Son died on the cross. Because death does not mean ceasing to exist. And I've heard that used by some people, which is interesting because just because God died on the cross, God the Son died on the cross, when we make that proclamation, we don't say that he ceased to exist. We mean that the spirit and the body separated the two natures, the the nature of God and the nature of Jesus, the man, separated upon his death. And so let's look at uh, the text here. John, in the 19th chapter, uh, we will begin here with verse, uh, part of 16 and 17. Let's actually just read all 16. So it says, so he is delivered over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place uh, called the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on either side uh, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It is written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us tear it and cast lots to see whose it shall be. Uh, This was to fulfill scripture as it states, they divided my garments among them and my clothing. It was casted lots. This is cited from Psalm 22 verse 18. So the soldiers did these things, but standing at the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Colapus, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to the mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took took her to his own home. So he's talking to John as John makes this reference here. Uh, Verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So there they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hippus branch and held it to his mouth. 
When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So what happened then after the death of Christ? He dies, gives up his spirit. Now, there's a lot of context. We could do whole shows, uh, series on the death of Christ. In fact, it's there's so much happening and so much fulfillment of prophecy that even writing a 40-minute sermon is difficult because we have to find a, a niche and preach on it, you know, versus doing the whole you know, the whole context of 18 and 19 in chapter in John, that's generally what we preach on for Good Friday. So the clearest indication that we have in scripture to where Jesus was between the death and the resurrection comes from his conversation on the cross with the thieves next to him. The believing thief asks to be remembered when Jesus comes into his kingdom, Luke 23, 42, and Jesus replies, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Verse 43. So after his death, Jesus went into the place of blessing where God is, which is heaven, and that's where the believing thief went to as well. So that's one of the things. We know that from what Jesus says to the thief on the cross that Jesus was in this particular place of paradise, uh, if only for a short moment. But that doesn't mean that he spent the whole day there. Uh, he says, this day you will be with me, but that could be just a few minutes. And again, we also understand, too, that time does not uh, correlate to, uh, you know, time in heaven doesn't correlate to time here on earth because time doesn't exist in those places. It is everlasting, never ending. There's no clock to tick the time by. So that helps us to understand that as Matthew accounts that the moment of the death of Christ, uh, the temple, there's a great earthquake there, the temple, uh, cloth that separates the Holy of Holies is shred, uh, uh, torn in two. And then we have, um, the dead rising and walking amongst the living. This all could have happened in these few moments after the death of Christ, even as Jesus spends time in paradise with the father and this particular thief and will then descend into the dead or Hades or hell, however you want to do it and release the spirits in prison there. Now we use Peter's writing uh, in first Peter chapter three, verses 18 through 20. It says this, uh, that Christ had suffered once for the sins, the righteous and the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience awaited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. So we take this to mean that Jesus, sometime between his death and resurrection, went to hell or Hades or Sheol, and made this announcement to some of the spirits in prison there. Within this interpretation, the spirits Jesus addressed could have been either demonic or human. We don't know. So the spirits mentioned in, uh, or if the spirits mentioned in 1 Peter 3.19 are fallen angels, then the spirits were probably imprisoned because they were involved in the grievous sin before the flood in Noah's time. Peter mentions Noah's flood in verse 20, and Peter does not tell us what Jesus proclaimed to the imprisoned spirits uh, but that it could have not, but it could not have been a message of redemption, since angels cannot be saved, as Hebrews two sixteen states. If they were fallen angels, indeed, what Jesus proclaimed was probably a declaration of his victory over Satan and his hosts, 
as 1 Peter 3.22 and Colossians 2.15 state. So we, in all of this discussion, it doesn't really, again, it's, 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 we're, we're looking at trying to put pieces to a puzzle that is almost impossible to, to finish because we don't have all the pieces. Even as Peter alludes to it, we don't know what he said to those imprisoned spirits. And we only know by Peter's account that he went to the place of the dead or he went to uh, this point. We, we get a little bit of um, from Paul, but not a whole lot. Uh, we, we have this, and, and Paul really just kind of echoes what Peter says in Ephesians chapter 4, 8 through 10. It says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he had, held, he had led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who has descended is the one who has, the, he who has descended is the one who also ascended far above. So Paul makes kind of a, a again, a, a kind of overlie of this point of time that Jesus spends in the grave, but he doesn't give us any sort of, uh, you know, fullness to it. It is kind of left to mystery. What we know from the text is this. When Jesus died, the dead are raised, not all the dead, but there are some that were raised there in Jerusalem and walk amongst the city. That is, is accounted in Matthew We know from Peter and Paul kind of echoing Peter's writing here that he went and spoke to the imprisoned spirits. That is how Paul's pointing us to that he descended into the depths of the earth. This would then be a fulfillment of what Jesus says in Matthew 12, where he spends three days in the uh, heart of the earth. So we don't know, you know, the exact location of hell or Hades or the place of the dead, but it is a um, it is used and described as a place of that one descends to and whereas heaven is a place where one ascends. So one goes down the other goes up. So, you know, we can spend a whole lot of time talking about this, but what I would like to really point out is that on good Friday, Christ has died on the cross for the sins of the world. When Jesus dies on the cross, that allows us to look at that moment and say that is our justification. That is the point where he has made his people righteous and he has declared his people his own. What he does between then and the grave, we have just fragments, but we know he descends to speak to imprisoned spirits and he probably frees people from the dead. And, the, and here's the interesting, you know, we can get into a whole bunch of context with Jewish history around the dead. And we do this more on that episode of on death from way back when I think it's in 2019, um, August of 2019. Uh, but we spend a considerable amount of time discussing that element. But what we know from, uh, the, you know, from the text is that the moment he died, the, the, uh, barrier cloth that separated the Holy from holies from the rest of the temple is, sh- is shredded into, And then we know there's a great earthquake. We know the dead are raised. Uh, So he must have spoken to some people in the land of the dead or the place of the dead. And, and I think sometimes this is too, where the concept of purgatory comes into play. Um, But we, we don't know who was freed. We don't know who the dead were walking. We don't know, you know, were they in captivity or were they just, you know, in kind of a eternal bliss before Christ comes to them. 
we don't know any of those details. And to say we do is speculation and text. We, we just don't have it. We know that he goes and speaks to the imprisoned spirits. We don't know, you know, the, the whole landscape of uh, hell or Hades. We don't know the whole landscape of heaven. All we know is these tiny little fragments that we are given. And, but what we do know is that Jesus went down and he also goes up and then he comes back into his body and rises on the third day and to which we will celebrate on Easter, the resurrection of our Lord and savior. So that is that for this episode. I am so appreciative that you have hung out hopefully through this whole episode. I know it was a little bit longer, but hopefully that little split there around the 33 minute marker will help you um, break this into two separate episodes if you can, or just listen to it one fell swoop. Uh, it's up to you. I mean, you're the boss. I'm just the guy speaking in your ear. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I hope it was an interesting uh, connection between Jonah and Jesus and how Jonah spends those three days just as much as Jesus is spending three days. But where Jonah was disobedient, Jesus is obedient, and where Jonah failed, Christ is successful. So with that, we will be back Tuesday with our next installment in Lutheran Theology, and then we will be kicking off the... uh, series on the sacraments here very shortly so very excited about that and uh, that'll be that so thanks for hanging out and tuning in with me i hope you guys have a great week god bless we'll see you later deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.